I say the words, faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Who are we talking about? Not Superman, my dad. <laughs> okay. When I was a kid, my dad was my hero. And he was absolutely larger than life to me. And I was convinced that he could do anything. And even though I knew that the guy on TV that said he was Superman, that that was fantasy, I was pretty sure that my dad had a cape around somewhere. And that he really was faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, and able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, right? Uh, and that there was nothing that he couldn't do, that he could fix anything, that he could teach the Bible better than anyone else in the world, and that he was the best husband and dad on the planet. And he and mom both taught Sunday school and led ministries. He discipled men at weekly meetings, and he was the teacher of the weekly youth Bible study out of our house for 15 years. And he discipled dozens of young people who are now scattered across Indianapolis and around the country. And, and as I grew up, I did come to a slightly more realistic view in that I no longer believe that he's secretly Superman, uh, but I still do admire my dad deeply. I'm looking forward to getting together with him next weekend, in fact. But he is a sinner, just like me, and uh, he loves Jesus like me, but he still works really hard. He's still phenomenally strong. He has that weird old man strength that I think is, is, is totally strange, but some, some guys just never seem to kind of lose all of their muscles. And so even though he's in his 70s, I'm not sure I can take him in arm wrestling. You know, it's, uh, it's kind of amazing. And, um, and he still loves my mom. He still disciples men weekly. He still knows how to do a lot of things well. And he still teaches the Bible, still loves mom, still loves my siblings and me, and especially his grandkids. And I still want to grow up to be like my dad in many ways. And I know that the family dynamic that I have described here isn't reality for everybody. Not everybody wants to grow up to be like their father. Uh, we all need Jesus, all of us, regardless of what your family was like. And I didn't bring it up to brag on my family, or at least not only to brag on my family, uh, but because it reflects in my own experience the reality that the passage that we're looking at today points us to. That, uh, that however good or poor, frankly, that our earthly fathers may have been, that we are called to live an imitation. Not of our earthly father, but of our perfect and our perfectly loving heavenly father and to imitate His love in our relationships with one another. We're only looking at two verses today. I told you we'd race our way through Ephesians. Uh, we are looking at just two verses, Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 1 and 2, and I want to show them to you. So if you would stand as I read uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. This is what the Word of God says. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice 
gone. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, when we, want, when we all grow up, we want to be like you. We want to take on the resemblance of your begotten Son. That we might bring you honor and glory, such as you deserve, and you only deserve. Father, help us to, to learn how and then to put into practice what it means to live a life in imitation of you, God our Father. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as you look closely at verse 1, what you'll see is it begins with the word, therefore. And therefore is always a word that draws a conclusion from the things that went before it. Uh, and what you want to look at here is in this case that Paul is using it to summarize everything that he has just been saying. So for three chapters, he's told us in great detail, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, about God's love and about the inexhaustible extent of God's love and how uh, the gospel grants us a new relationship with God, a new membership in God's own family, and that it can on us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms as God uh, has given us a relationship with him as his adopted sons and heirs of the kingdom of God. And he spent chapter four telling us about how to put that into practice by the Holy Spirit's empowerment, this same gospel message that saved us, that by the indwelling spirit we put uh, we put off sin, we put sin to death, and we put on Jesus' character and follow the teaching that we have received. And as we grow and as we mature, we start to resemble Jesus. And as we do that, that what comes out of our hearts and issues forth out of our mouths begins to change and reflect the indwelling of the Spirit. And so we start to do things like speak the truth instead of lying to one another. We start to control our emotions and to work hard and to build up rather than tear down with our speech and to put away every kind of sinful anger in our words and in our deeds and to replace those things with kindness and compassion and forgiveness. Amen? That's what we've been looking at. And as we do that, then, we become imitators of God. Because after all, how did God treat us when we were his enemies? What does the scripture say? That he gave us grace when we were his enemies. I love Romans chapter 5 where it says, Very rarely will anyone die for a good person. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were sinners. And then later it clarifies, while we were his enemies, he died for us. While we were his enemies. God gave us his grace. He treated us with kindness. He gave us compassion and forgiveness for all of our many and varied sins. And so the word here in verse 1 contains Another important reminder, as, as beloved children, your, your Bible may read, dearly beloved 
children. But the same idea. In other words, why do you imitate God? Because you are deeply loved. You are deeply loved by God. And so the idea is this, is that a child who is deeply loved and well-loved by their parents will want to grow up to be like them. Who do we have as a father? Well, we have God as a father. And He deeply loves us. And He is the example, ultimate example, in fact, of what a good father should be and should do. And so because we are so deeply and completely loved, then we imitate God. And we make it our goal in life to grow up to be like Him. Amen? And how do we do that? Well, verse 2 gives us our first statement of that. Now, by the way, if you want to know what it looks like to imitate God in your relationships, stay tuned for literally the rest of the book, okay? Because it will talk about how to imitate God in your marriage, how to imitate God in your job, how to imitate God in your relationships with other people, how to imitate God in your sex life, how to imitate God in every part of your life, in other words. No area is left untouched. Um, you'll want to be here for next week where Pastor Josh explains very critical areas of this. Imitating God. But verse 2 gives us the first hint of this. Look at it with me. It says, and walk in love. What does that mean? Well, biblically, idea of walking is in something carries the idea of living it out of living it out of putting it into practice of lacing up your tennis shoes and doing it amen that you don't just hear the word and by the way I love to hear the word in my free time I listen to other people preach sermons Right? I love to hear the word. But hearing the word, as good as it is, is very as a very different thing from actually doing it, actually putting it into practice. And so when he says walk in love, it means to live a life that is characterized by love for other people, such that it's not something that you merely do, but something that you are. So just as we read in the Gospel of John, for example, uh, chapter 4 of the Gospel of John, that God is love, and we understand that to mean that He is totally characterized by love, what Paul is telling us here is that we who are God's dearly loved children also should be characterized by love. We have to walk in love. We have to become characterized by that which is characteristic of God if we're going to imitate Him. Unless anyone in, want to import their own thinking about what it means to be walking in love, Paul clarifies what love means. That it's the kind of self-sacrificial action toward other people that God displays for us in the sacrifice of Christ at the cross. You see that? That the gospel is at the heart of the definition of what it means that God is love. 
that God took a self-sacrificial action toward those who were his enemies. He laid down his life. In other words, this is not gushy or romantic or, or sentimental uh, love. You know, this isn't just mere affection. This isn't something you can write or find in a Hallmark card. Uh, this is the kind of love that bestows yourself as a sacrifice for someone else's benefit and blessing. It's the kind of love that keeps showing up when your spouse, to whom you pledged to love, honor, and cherish till death do you part, that keeps showing up at the nursing home when they no longer recognize who you are. It's the kind of love that, uh, that even though you are tired, says to your spouse, yes, I'll do the dishes. I'll take out the trash. I know it's been a long day. I'll take the kids. You feel me? It's the kind of love that blesses someone else and requires a sacrifice for their benefit, for their blessing. It's the kind of love that says, I will not sit on the sidelines when the church needs me to serve. I stepped on anybody's toes yet? I'll try to step gently, but seriously, this is what we're talking about, right? That we lay our lives down for other people. Just like Jesus. Jesus' own death was not simply a sacrifice for you and I and our sins. It was also a sacrifice that was made not only for us, but to God. That's what the scripture says here. So is it, you see that, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That, that Jesus offered his life for us, but to God as a sacrifice to honor him, even as it benefited us. Does that make sense? Because the point being made here is that you and I are to love each other, especially within the church in exactly this same way, in a way that reveals the truth of the gospel that we believe and which has saved us and is even now transforming us by the Spirit into the kind of people whose lives imitate our loving Heavenly Father, that we start to take on, in other words, the family resemblance. You know, whenever somebody has a baby... You know, babies, when they're first born, most of the time look like space aliens, right? But nobody wants to say that right as the mother is holding her child, right? Um, you know, um, one of the guys that mentored me in the ministry said, whenever you go to the hospital, if you, if you see somebody with an ugly baby, you can always say this. Well, that's a baby. <laughs> right? Um, but we all kind of look like that. You know, our heads are kind of misshapen and we kind of look weird and so forth, wrinkly and, you know, not real attractive usually for a couple of days until things kind of even out. And, um, and you, but you're trying to look for the family resemblance, right? And so we say things to each other like, oh, I think he's got his father's eyes or he's got your hair, 
or you know whatever you know you know what I mean. We we say ridiculous things about about little babies, and they're really cute and so fun, right? But we're looking for that family resemblance. We're looking for the fact that we have that this that this child is ours, and he looks like me. He acts like me. He does the, he's into the things I'm into, right? Boys and I took a picture yesterday of um, uh, as they were getting ready to go out for homecoming. Karen and I thought we would take the opportunity for you know that they're going to go out on a on a group date or whatever. Well, we're going to go out on a date, just the two of us. And so we all got dressed up, and the boys and I took a picture. And when Karen showed me the picture later, I'm like, "What's my dad doing in the photo?" Right? <laughs> because I look like him. I have his forehead. Right. Uh, in fact, I've gotten more of his forehead as the years pass. And, uh, and I remember my dad being this age and what he looked like, right? And he looked a lot like this. Um, and, and I'm like, wow, that's crazy. And the relationship height-wise between me and him is similar between me and my boys, right? About four inches taller in each case. And... Um, and I thought, this is really strange, but is a, there's that family resemblance that started to happen over time. When I start to look more and more like him, my boys, sadly, start to look more and more like me, <laughs> right? Um, and, and we're looking for that. And guess what? God is looking for the same thing in us. For his, for a resemblance to him that we, his children, because we love him, start to take on his characteristics. So how do we walk in love? We walk in love by sacrificing our own desires and our own plans and our own will to bless other people and bring good to them. We lay down our lives for other people to honor God and to make an offering of ourselves to him rather than act as if the primary goal of our lives is the pursuit of our own happiness. I know that is written in the Declaration of Independence that we're to have engaged in the pursuit of happiness, but according to the Bible, you're to engage in laying your life down for other people. The central goal of your life is not the fulfillment of your own desires, the advancement of your own status and riches and power at whatever cost it brings to other people. The central goal of the Christian life is to live it to honor God and to lay it down imitating His love revealed at the cross. And our lives are meant to be cross-shaped not putting ourselves first, but putting God and his honor first and other people's good at the center of who we are, just like Jesus did. And that's the point, that our lives would look like Jesus, that we put, our, that we put his love on display in how we love other people. Now, as I said, in weeks to come, we're going to specifically see how it relates in every other area of life, all of the big areas, speech and sex and time and marriage and work and even how we live in light of the spiritual forces that are at work in the world. But for now, we need to remember this. This big idea 
that because we are saved by God's love, then we must put His love on display in how we love each other. And as we do that, the transforming power of the gospel is made evident in the world. Because who does that? Who puts God's love at the center of their life? Who are the people who sacrifice their lives for other people's benefit and blessing? Can you point to lots of examples? Not very many, but all the ones I know are Christians. It's Christians who do that. Who lay down their lives to bless other people and don't put themselves at the center of life, but put God and His honor and His glory and sacrificing to be a benefit to other people. It's Christians who do that. And when we do that, what we're doing is revealing that the gospel actually works. Not just that it saves people from hell, but it saves people from themselves and makes them people who look like Jesus. And so that the, the gospel message, when it comes out of our mouth, then makes sense, right? Because people will notice that kind of self-sacrificial life. And they will say to you, because they cannot help themselves, do there's something very weird about you. What is that? And you have the glorious privilege at that point, and probably at several points after that, of explaining, it's not me. It's Jesus. It's Christ has come into my life when I put my trust in Him. He gave me His Holy Spirit, and my life has not been the same since. I've been changed. And you could be changed too if you put your trust in Him. And when you do that, when our words and our conduct line up, when our love for God is on display in our life, then we become what the Scripture describes Jesus as being, a fragrant sacrifice that brings glory to God and honors Him whom we love so much. So, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing some more. And then we're going to be dismissed. And then, you know what's going to happen? We're going to go into the arena. We're going to walk out these doors, and we're going to have to put this into practice. How are we going to do that? By the Holy Spirit's power. As we submit to Him, He works to change us so that we take on the family resemblance of the Father who gave His Son for us. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, this is a simple message that is easy to understand and incredibly difficult, in fact impossible for us as sinners to put into practice. And so, Father, we are so grateful that you are so good that that which you command, you also equip and empower us for.
that you've given us the Holy Spirit to live within us, to change us from the inside out. Father, we want to be changed. Some of us are so tired and living for ourselves, living for our own power and status and enrichment and in our own glory, frankly, as we have put ourselves on the throne of our lives. Father, I pray that you would depose us from the throne and that you would make it clear to us who is really God and who is not. And if we have not put our trust in Jesus, Father, I pray that today would be the day that we do. And if we have put our trust in Jesus, Father, I, I, I know that many of us are prone, I am prone to trying to retake the throne and to direct my own life and to push you to the side. Father, I pray you'd give us all a vision of your glory and your goodness, your love for us. Help us to imitate it, Father, how we treat each other and in the witness we live out in the world. Father, help us put the gospel on display, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.